all in here. Hey, hey. It's all in. Come on. Work with me now. It's all in the head. Yeah. It's all in the hips. It's all in the hips. <laughs> Get off of me. Hey, just easing the tension, baby. Just easing the tension. Well, ease it on someone else. Welcome back to the Rough Life Podcast. I will be your host, Logan, and with me, as always, is Norman. What's up? Hey there. So we just witnessed a triumphant return uh, to just to glory uh, this week. Back-to-back Easter Jacks for (laughs) our boy Jordan Spieth. Tell me about all that happened this weekend what do I need to, what, why should I care about the, the, the golf world right now? Well, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, it's not master's week. That was last week, but, uh, this week was the RBC heritage at Harbor town. One of the more iconic courses. Uh, everybody knows that famous lighthouse behind the 18th green. And, uh, the really cool thing is, uh, Jordan speed, as you already talked about, he, he won this week. He has been in a bit of a lull. And he won without a putter, as he said in his post-game press conference. Um, He's been playing pretty well. He just hasn't been able to put together a win for a little while. Um, Can we just talk about that comment for a second? I know he meant it like, you know, as as a self-deprecating comment about his game at the moment, but it's a kind of a jerk thing to say. (laughs) It really is. Like, hey, guys. I beat you, and I played like uh, poop. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, Patrick Cantlay and Harold Varner. Uh, I beat you, but uh, you know I wasn't trying that hard. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't putt for crap, and I, I still one-handed. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was kind of a funny thing to say, but if you actually look at the stats, um, he really did. I mean, of people who made the cut, I think he was, if not last, he was next to last in strokes gained putting. Uh, whether you put value, a lot of value in strokes gain or not, um, it's a pretty accurate predictor of how you're going to play. He led the field in T to green. Um, but when it came to actually getting it done on the greens, he really, really struggled. Um, <laughs> interestingly on 18 on Saturday, he missed like an 18 inch putt and that very nearly cost him the tournament. I mean, he was in a playoff, obviously, uh, he would have won outright, but, uh, you know, if Cantley had had, you know, one more birdie, uh, in there and Jordan would have, you know, that 18 inch putt would have cost him the tournament. That would have been, uh, that'd been tough to live down. Well, and frankly, uh, Cantley's first shot at the 72nd hole, he had about a 15 footer to win the tournament. And the broadcast guys said, I'm here at field view. He just pushed it like yeah. that. Apparently it wasn't that hard of a putt and he kind of choked. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a, kind of an interesting uh, ending and uh, you know, Jordan really kind of got a bad break. Uh, You know, he had the one in the, in the uh, bunker that was kind of nestled up against the lip. Um, And he and Michael Greller, they spent a long time kind of talking and, you know, you couldn't hear everything that was being said, but you could tell maybe by their pantomime that they were talking about, well, we could rake it out back into the bunker or we could hit it, you know, to the left or we could hit it to the right or we actually could go towards the hole. And what they wound up doing, which I thought was really kind of fascinating, is they used the fact that there were grandstands to the right to their advantage. And he just whacked one into the grandstands because, you know, the way the rules work, that's what's known as a temporary immovable obstruction, a TIO 
and uh, they just knock the ball in. He just hits the ball into that, and he gets a drop, and he wound up getting up and down for par uh, in a situation where, honestly, if he'd have tried to go for the hole, who knows what kind of carnage might have happened. So uh, kind of an interesting break, I guess, or good use of the rules to your advantage, I suppose. Yeah, you've got that. And then when you go to the playoff, they both end up short in the bunker and Spieth is up against the lip of the bunker. He's got a, this terribly awkward stance, one leg in, one leg out. You know, He can barely make a swing at it. And wouldn't you know it, he hits it to six inches uh, and taps it in for par. And then poor Cantlay, he gets a straight up fried egg. Fried egg. Yeah. Yeah. It was ugly. It was ugly. I felt really, really bad for the guy. It was like and a caricature of a golf lie. It really, really did. It was, a, he was in bad shape, you know, and when the, the guy before you goes up and knocks it to, you know, <laughs> within a foot, you know, your back's up against the wall. You, you can't leave it short. You got to get it at least to the hole. And he winds up hitting it like 25 feet by. Um, honestly, it was a, there wasn't much he could do there. I really felt bad for Cantley. Uh, he did win the FedEx Cup last year and he won, you know, what's $15 million. So uh, now I'm, I'm sure he's torn up about it a little bit that he didn't get the win, but uh, uh, he's doing just fine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like there's this, I don't know if you are, are following this kind of Twitter dialogue, but when guys have babies, it seems like their game goes. It really does. It really does. And well, I mean, Jack Nicholas famous, famously said to Tiger, you know, um, when he had kids, you know, um, you know, this is going to calm him down and, you know, he's going to, you know, the, the way he's wired, this isn't, you know, this is going to be kind of a transition for him personally, but it's not going to affect him um, on the course. And maybe, I mean, he obviously had won plenty since then, but guys like Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler just recently had a child. Um, Rory. Maria Rory uh, had a child. And it's just, I get it. I mean, I having had two kids of my own, um, well, my wife did. I, uh, I was just there. Um, you know, it, you know your, I guess your priorities change and you don't have as much you know, time for, you can't just be the guy who's all about golf all the time. Now you're a family guy. Um, like that, uh, that club pro guy video recently where he says, you know, Colin Morikawa is an absolute idiot for getting engaged. Yeah, exactly. You know, at a certain point, like, you know, you start settling down and, and planting roots and having kids and, you know, get a whole family going and, and the golf kind of going to hurt the handicap. It kind of hurts. Yeah. It seems that way. Yeah. Club pro guy, always speaking truth. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did an unbelievable video today. If you haven't seen it. But, yeah, I did watch it. I did watch gosh, it. Uh, that guy's funny. Yeah. And just the, the bits that he does with the UGA, with the USGA, if you guys aren't kind of following that saga, it's, it's worth checking out. Um, it, it's sometimes a little inside baseball. Uh, so if you're not, you know, if you don't really like follow him really closely, it's, it's easy to get lost uh, sometimes in some of the stuff that he does, but uh, he's pretty brilliant. Not sure who he is, but whoever, whoever he is, he is definitely a genius. Yeah. Pretty, pretty funny stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, is there anything else from the RBC that you feel like is, is worth mentioning? I, well, I, wanna, I think I want to single out Harold Varner. That's what I was just about to bring up. Uh, Harold Varner, Varner has been so close and he's a South Carolina boy. So, I mean, this was a, uh, uh, you know, this is a tournament that he definitely wants to win and he's the 54 hole leader and he just can't seem to get it together in the final round. And that's kind of been the story for him now for a while. 
I can't help but root for the guy. I want to see him win, and I really thought this was going to be his week. Um, but, you know, final round, he shoots one under par. Uh, two under par would have got him into the playoffs. So, um, And you really can't shoot one under par when guys are out there shooting 66s. Like, you've got you've to be a little bit more clutch on the final 18. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Harbortown's kind of an interesting course. I mean, it's uh, it's really, really tight, and the greens are really, really small. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the – I think you know, the winning score was 13 under par uh, for a short course. I think it's about 6,700 yards or so. Uh, that's short for the PGA Tour, long for guys like me and you, really, really long for guys like me and you. But um, for, for a course that short – that's its defense, those small greens, the narrow fairways. And generally, guy, you know, some guys out there are going to get it together for a round and they'll shoot five or six under par, but you can't do that four rounds in a row. And so he had a really good round. I think his uh, second round was really strong and uh, got him towards the top of the leaderboard. Of course, he was in, uh, uh, he led going into Sunday, but you just can't be one under par when there are other guys out there going low. I mean, Jordan Spieth teed off an hour before him shoots five under par, I think it was. And, uh, you know, he had an hour to wait to see if he was going to, you know, win outright or be in a playoff or what it was going to be. And let's give credit where it's due. Varner had about a 60 footer on the 72nd hole to force his hand into the playoff. And he burned the edge of that putt. Like it was an incredible effort. Yeah, it really, really was. And Shane Lowry too, for that matter. I mean, he yeah. was leading and kind of blew up on the, uh, the 14. Uh, 14, yeah, 14, chipped it into the water. But, and that's kind of the brilliance of that course, I think, is there are, uh, you know, it's one of those courses that's got water seemingly in all the right places. And it's water that people tend to find. And uh, that's you a know, funny way to say that it's got water in all the right, <laughs> all the right places. You know what I mean? But uh, you know, don't go chasing waterfalls, man. Just stick to the river. <laughs> <and the lake. laughs> Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, he winds up chipping the ball into the water because the green slopes towards it. You know, and that hazard hadn't really been a problem all week long. And then here you are, it winds up being crucial uh, when it really, really matters. So, um, all in all, a good week. Matter of fact, I'm watching the replay right now on the Golf Channel. Yeah, um, I watched I watched it earlier today. Um, yeah, so. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of fun. It's a fun course. You have to be really creative at Harbortown. Yeah, and, really. So, and. The 18th hole is so interesting to me because it's it's got that really, really, really wide fairway. It's like 85 yards across. And the tour guys, like hitting that fairway is like 99 and a half percent, you know, so you don't miss it. And it's still a hole that gives people grief. It's always that second shot. It's got that big gaping bunker in front of the green. And uh, you know, it's, it's really a hard hole for one where everybody literally is playing out of the fairway. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well, and like you know, you saw on the on the first playoff hole, Spieth hit a hybrid, and he ended up not hitting it very well, and he ended up with two forty left or two thirty left, and he had to hit kind of like another hybrid. Right. That, that's not an ideal scenario, you know. And but none of the guys were hitting driver because it's it's wide but short. So right. You, you want to lay up, but you don't want to lay up too much. And he did, and it's just it's it's a it's like I said, you have to craft your shots there. It's a really good hole. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes golf fun. Like, I don't want to see Bryson smashing 400-yard drives and then 250-yard nine irons onto par fives. Like, that's not near as fun. I would much rather watch Kevin Kisner shape his way around a golf course. Yeah, I mean, that's that's golfing your ball. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's what, 
if you and I are going to play good golf, that's how we're going to do it. You know, we're not going to, I'm not going to hit the ball 400 yards. <laughs> that's never going to happen, but I can watch a guy hit a really pretty, you know, draw into a, into a tucked pin. That's something that in theory I can do, um, you know, knocking the ball, um, into the stratosphere that's never going to be my game so I mean, you can uh, do it you just need like 80 tries <laughs> i need an air airport runway for my ball to go that far <laughs> i mean you might have to like pitch a tent and make base camp on the fairway you know, and try again in the morning but i think eventually you'll get there yeah maybe uh, so we may have to do like a, a live youtube video one time of you trying to hit a tucked pin and just see how many times it takes yeah, all right i'm about it, Could be I'm fun. About it. but uh there's there's one other rbc story that Frankly, I could not look away from Thursday, Friday last week. I agree. I know what you're talking about here. That's my boy. Morgan Hoffman. Oklahoma State's own. You can see it in the background here. I know yeah. you can, but you can. Uh, Oklahoma State golfer Morgan Hoffman, former number one amateur in the world. Uh, obviously, a crazy story. Like, why don't you just give me, tell me a little bit about Morgan Hoffman? Because I could, I could wax poetic about this story for far too long, but. Morgan Hoffman was a uh, an upper up and comer. Uh, he was the number one uh, amateur in the world. Um, did pretty well uh, his first few starts on the uh, first few years out on the tour. Uh, finished second in the tournament. Didn't get a win, uh, but was playing pretty well. And discovered that he was losing muscle mass, uh, like in his uh, in his chest. Uh, went to doctors. Doctors diagnosed him with basically uh, uh, muscular dystrophy, uh, a, a kind of a rare version of that. And told him effectively, there's not much we can do about it. Yep. This is a disease that you're going to have to deal with. There's not much we can do. And he just didn't take that for an answer. Of course, he had means. So he was able to go to the, you know, the best doctors, uh, do all the things that he needed to. So he went to the Mayo Clinic and you know other top hospitals uh, that he had. Uh, yeah, rumor, he rumor has it he just put stacks of cash on every desk in America until he got an answer. But Pretty much, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's the story that, that I've read in a couple of places that, you know, he was willing to see any doctor that he yeah. thought could help him. And he, he said at one point, like in, in one of the articles on golf digest, he said, they said, you know, Hey, this isn't going to be covered. These tests aren't going to be covered. And he was like, I don't care, charge it. I will pay it. I like, right. any, you know, any amount of money basically. Right. And he has fantastic insurance through the PGA tour too. Um, so I mean, anyway, he was willing to do some, uh, some pretty wild things here in the States and just not getting the answers he was looking for. Uh, he started looking at alternative medicine, which, you know, you can draw your own opinion on that. Um, but he, he really did a lot of research and went into some pretty interesting directions. One of the things he did is he did a mono diet for a little while where the only thing he ate was grapes and he would eat like 800 grapes a day. He would go in and, um, he would walk into Whole Foods and buy all the grapes that they had. And then he would come back two days later and do the exact same thing. Um, he also, for a little while, was drinking his own urine, doing urine therapy, which is, it, is, it is not sponsored by this pod. <laughs> is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? No, yeah. but I do it anyway. It's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, so he started doing that. Um, there's several things he did and he, kind of the ultimate thing he wound up doing is he wound up moving to Costa Rica. Um, there was someone down there who was kind of a shaman, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, who had pronounced shaman shaman. All right. Yeah. My bad. Um, anyway, somebody down there who had some, um, some therapies that he was interested in. And so he and his wife moved down there and he did all of those things and with some success. 
I right. mean, here he is. He's back playing. He's he had three medical exemptions now, on the tour. Once you are injured, you get a certain number of medical exemptions where you can play again uh, to try to earn enough points to get your card. He had three of those left, and he used one of them here at the RBC. He didn't make the cut. He missed it by a stroke. And I think everybody who's been following his story had been pulling for him. So uh, he's got two other options. He also has a chance of getting some uh, some sponsor uh, exemptions as well. So. Um, we'll see him again. And if you're not watching uh, Morgan Hoffman, you should be. He's a really great story. Super easy to root for. Um, just a shout out. Daniel Rappaport has an awesome article and podcast via the Golf Digest Network. If you want to read all about this and like dig into it on your own, go find it. It's, it'll be easy to find and uh, really, really cool stuff. Both the article and the podcast are incredibly interesting. Uh, so Morgan Hoffman, all time cool guy. He also, you know, they, they talk about this in the article, but he was like a player uh, when he was on the tour the first time, like a ladies. <laughs> movie. Yeah. This is, they had this, uh, this part where they said that his caddy would write down his phone number on golf balls and on during like practice rounds and stuff, they would go up to like the best looking women and they would just hand them the golf ball and be like, call Morgan after the round. Right. And, like, that's how he would like get dates. Like his caddy was like hooking him up. So you know, this dude was living like kind of his best life, if you want to call it that. And then everything kind of came crashing down. So it, it's kind of crazy to see his his whole arc. And uh, we're all rooting for him. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves a redemption story and his very well could be a, a really great one. So uh, he needs basically to finish T, uh, T2 in, in a tournament in order to secure his card. Uh, that would do it. Uh, or he needs to have several like runs of top 10s. Like I said, he's got two more exemptions to use. He may pick up a few others uh, as the year goes on. Uh, I expect that he will because, like I said, everybody who knows him is rooting for him. So speaking of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, did you see that they registered for the U.S. Open? I did see that. I did see that. Not really sure what to make of that. I mean, there's like a deadline where you have to register. Um I fully expect that Tiger is going to attempt to play the U.S. Open. Uh, I think he's going to play all four majors, even though he's sound a little, um, little reluctant, maybe. Uh, for some of those, he's already basically committed to the British Open, said he was going to play that. Uh, we don't know about the PGA, which we have tickets to, by the way. I will bring that up every opportunity I can. Um, but the fact that he has uh, applied for the U.S. Open basically gives him the opportunity to play. Whether he decides to play or not remains to be seen. Same for Phil. Um, I don't think the, if the Tiger one isn't interesting to me. I like. I agree with you. He's going to play as much as he can. Um, there was an article that came out today, actually, uh, that that gave had some quotes from Jack, I believe, um, and basically it was like. Tiger asked his doctor, will I be in pain in a year? And his doctor was like, yeah. And he's like, well, then I'm going to go ahead and play now. I'll just suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like, so Tiger's kind of come to the realization that he's living in pain management for the rest of his life. And uh, he's okay with that. But right. for Phil, we have not heard a peep. And apparently no players have or cat right. any, any pundits. So Phil's like this ghost of a PGA Tour player. And all of a sudden he signs up for the, for the U.S. Open. You're like, oh, okay. So that's a little, that's the first like whisper of a rumor we've heard about. For, right. For well, if he is suspended from the PGA tour and it's possible that he is, um, that would not preclude him from playing in the U S open. Cause it is truly an open event. Similarly, 
the British Open is an open event. So he could play in both of those. But players have said that they've been trying to get in contact with him, and he is just – he's basically gone dark. So uh, really <laughs> zero, interesting. Zero dark Mickelson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and all this comes about because of the Saudi League, which – I don't know if you just saw this. I literally just saw a tweet about this before we logged on. Uh, the first player has asked the tour for a uh, for an exception to play in the Saudi tour. Do you know who it is? Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I'm Robert Garrigus. Oh, I knew the, that. Yeah, for yourself, you know, superstar Robert Garrigus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he is currently uh, 280th in the FedEx points race, right? Uh, yeah, he's pretty low down on the list. He he's won one time in like 2010 i want to say it's he's been cool. he's been around a while he's practically uh, he's like my age but uh kind of a kind of an also ran uh for the most part so maybe the does the tour grant him his his uh exception to be able to play i don't know uh maybe it's, they just shrug their shoulders and say have at it that's a slippery uh, slope because yeah, yeah. if he no big deal if he gets the exemption and then Bryson says tomorrow, I'd like an exemption as well. Right. Do you let Bryson go? Yeah. Well, I mean, this Saudi league thing is starting to heat up. I mean, we, we've talked about it a little bit uh, last week and maybe the week before that and probably will for a while, but um, you know, there are some names that are swirling out there. This is the first one who's we've got like concrete. Someone has asked um, to play, but there are a few other names that are out there. Bubba, Kevin, Na, Lee Westwood, Ian, Poulter and a missing one. Adam Scott. Uh, Adam Scott. Is that it? It's one that's uh, been rumored. So, uh, so anyway, they, you know, there, there's rumors swirling out there. They're having the first event in June, and it's going to be a very exciting two months as we kind of watch that build. Uh, Where is that tournament? Uh, the first one is in England, just outside of London. Um, and then like a couple of weeks go by and then there's one in Oregon at pumpkin Ridge golf course. That's the first one you're stateside. It, it's probably unrealistic, but I would really like to go to a Saudi U S event and just see, <laughs> see like how bad they're pulling this stuff off. Well, I mean, they, they've got some courses that have some clout, uh, but they also have some that are kind of dumps. Um, the no layup guys, we're talking about the one in Florida and apparently, the course that they are going to there is really, really bad. So uh, Pumpkin Ridge is well-known. Uh, Trump Bedminster is uh, one of the other ones. Um, so, I mean, no no surprise there. Trump, Saudi, you know, not to be – this isn't a political podcast, but, I mean, there there's certainly some connections between the Trumps and the Saudis. <laughs> it's fine. I'm going to add a whole bunch of bleeps in this segment, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, anyway, I mean – there's more intrigue around this Saudi golf tournament than anything that's happened in golf in a very, very long time. And I cannot get enough of it. What if, what if Phil wants an exemption after all this? Well, I mean, if you read his apology and listeners, if you have not taken a look at his apology, not apology, not apology, apology, maybe it's a better way to say it. Uh, he doesn't apologize to the tour. He apologizes to the Saudis and, you know, the, right. the, the live golf um, higher ups, you know. Um, so it sounds to me like he's trying to trying to keep his foot in both camps so he can, you know, be a PGA tour player if it, things head that way, but also hedges bets where he could still play on the Saudi tour. If, you know, things don't go his way for the PGA tour. So it's, Phil's a fascinating case study. 
it honestly reminds me of that episode of the office when Dwight has to apologize to everyone. And he just opens up the letter and says, I state my regret. And, <laughs> and Jim goes, you couldn't memorize that. And he goes, I could not because I do not mean it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That's, I mean... that's how Phil is operating right now. Like he's like, I state my regret, but I'm not really sorry, but I'm, I have to say it. So I said it. Uh, and I'll deal with, you know, the recourse afterwards. Well, Dwight's uh, apology was somewhat of a, uh, it was succinct and to the point whereas Phil's was like a thousand words and didn't say much of anything. So it might as well have been, I state my regret, but it was a thousand words getting to that conclusion. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, Phil. Good times. Uh, yeah. Love him or hate him. Uh, he's, he's always entertaining. So uh, let's go into healthy boys. Okay. Um, that's I, healthy, that's I healthy boys with a Z by the way, healthy boy, hashtag healthy boys with a Z. Uh, I lost a little bit of weight this week. I lost about a pound, uh, eight fish three times. So I, that's, that's a big deal, man. That's a big proud, deal. I'm proud of you. I, I had one burger. Uh, what about you? Uh, I did not lose or gain. Um, and I read and water. That's good. And I wasn't as disciplined as I would have liked to have been last week ended up being kind of a crazy week at our house and the weekend was crazy. And, uh, that led to, you know, being like, Oh, it's okay to eat this bag of cookies. Um, so it, it wasn't the worst week. Like I made a lot of good decisions and I was decently active, but I, uh, I got to do a lot better this upcoming week. Well, it was Easter week and we had some baked goods and candy and that kind of stuff around the house. And if it's there, man, I have a hard time um, not partaking of it. Well, we had our in-laws in town and my in-laws, my wife's family was in town and we had big Easter lunch with them. And then my parents had a big Easter dinner that night. So like, I'm lucky that I didn't gain nine pounds, honestly. So, um, <laughs> well, we, uh, we had the Easter lunch with some friends and we had ham and uh, like cheesy potatoes and green beans and rolls. And then we had Easter dinner with your family uh, and we had ham and green beans and cheesy potatoes and rolls. So like, I literally ate the same meal two different places back to back. Well, who's, um, whose version was better? uh no comment <laughs> oh, cool. well but yeah. at your folks's house i mean there was like desserts out the wazoo so um yeah i'm gonna get off the dessert train and i think that's gonna help a lot anyway um healthy boys is is both a state of mind and uh, a social media initiative and frankly we need all of the listeners to encourage us um so you know do what you can um, you know, if you know, hashtag us, healthy boys with a Z, send us a text message, you know, tell us that, uh, we need to get our proverbial butts in gear and, uh, you know, send us some sort of a gif or a meme or something that, that encourages and spurs us along our health journey. And we'll keep kind of telling you guys about it. Speaking of like our health journey though, we got to finally play a round of golf. If you want to call it that this weekend. Yeah, we did. We did. It was, it was good to get out there. Uh, I'm was, a little, was, was it? Well, I mean, it was, I mean, it was good. I mean, it was me and you and uh, our friends, Dallas and Donovan. Shout out. And, uh, yo, what up boys? Uh, we got out on Saturday. The weather had been pretty nice all week. And then Saturday morning, it was cold and windy. The forecast called for it to be wet and it was not thankfully, but it was cold and windy. Like the temperature was like 
52 when we got to the course and it wound up getting colder as the morning went on and the wind was blowing at about 20, uh, 25 miles an hour at times. It was pretty miserable. Yeah. There was a many, many times where I thought to myself, I don't even want to play anymore. Like I just, I just want to get off this course. Um, the wind blown feeling is, is exhausting after a while. Uh, I felt like I was playing at Carnoustie. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. It was, it was, it was really, honestly, those rounds are tough because from a, like a golfer's perspective, they don't teach you very much about your game. Like your hands are cold, your shoulders are cold. You, you know, you feel like everything's a little tight. And then when you do hit the ball, well, you might hit a great shot and it is way offline by the time it gets to the hole. And you just, it's hard to kind of gauge how you're doing. Yeah, agreed. But I mean, that was my first round. So I had uh, first real round, I guess, in, in a while. Uh, I think I'd played once uh, a couple of months ago, but the conditions weren't very good there. So I was just trying to go out and just make contact with the ball. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, things to be really, really great. You know, looking for, you know, good club uh, turf interaction, hitting the ball uh, well. Um I did some of that. I mean, I didn't play all that bad. There were some things out there that were um, that clearly I need to improve on, uh, but I actually did some things pretty well too. I had a couple of birdies. I had a really nice chip in on one uh, par three and you were the only person to watch uh, as that ball went into the cup. Uh, our two playing partners were, I don't know what they were doing, but they missed probably the greatest shot I'm going to hit all year. <laughs> so that was a nice little chip in birdie. I wound up making a birdie on a, a, one of the par fives that always gives me trouble too. Um, thankfully, let's, let's, let's try something here uh, sure. just, just for fun. All right. Let's do a little, uh, what we do in our family, we call it high, low Buffalo. Okay. Let's, let's do that for each, each other's rounds. So what was my high, low and Buffalo from your perspective? And, I'll, okay. and like, what did I do? Well, what was the most embarrassing moment probably? And then anything that really stuck out is like surprising. Okay. All right. You're putting me on the spot. I didn't know that we were going to do this. Let me I, think. Yeah, I, just, I just come up with it. I'll yeah. go ahead. I can tell you yours. I'm ready. Okay. So um, it gives me opportunity to think. Yeah, go ahead. So your high was by far that chip in. And I'm going to, I'm going to just talk about it a little more to the listeners. Cause it was incredible. He was um, not short-sighted. Isn't maybe the right way to put it, but he had a terrible lie um it was awkward stance and he had a downhill down, downhill i'm telling the story here sorry uh, I, i'm on the other side of the green so i'm watching the whole thing unfold he's got a slippery little downhiller it, it's going to go left to right and there's pretty much about an eight inch circle he can land this in for it to have any chance to be near the hole and this dude hits this beautiful little half flop bump and run kind of shot and it hits that eight inch circle in the bullseye and it basically dies when it hits the green and then it just starts to trundle and it trundles and trickles and trundles and trickles. And I'm like, man, this shot's going to go in and then bombs away straight into the heart of the cup and nobody sees it. So it doesn't count, but I saw it. So it halfway counts, I guess, but it was truly like on a difficulty, it was a 10 out of 10 and he pulled it off. And I, I really do believe that if he did it 10 more times, he'd be lucky to get it within five feet. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I, the ball went into the cup and I held my arm in the air uh, to signal to both Dallas and Donovan 
that I'd made a really great shot that they'd missed. <laughs> I wanted them to acknowledge it in some way, even though they didn't see it, like acknowledge the fact I hit a really great shot because they look and they don't see my ball on the green. But um, you're right. I had a, I had to chip the ball about six feet. And from there, I needed to roll out about 45. And it did. I mean, and it was a slow roller yep. and it died right in the cup. Like I said, I really believe that's going to be the best shot of the year for me. I got it out of the way the very first round. So that was your high. Uh, for mm. me, your low uh, would be that for about your last, are, are you ready for honesty? I am. Are you, I'll take are you, it. Do you have, um, I learned this in marriage counseling. Do you want to put your hands out and receive this? Like, a, are you, do you feel like you're ready to receive this? I'm ready to receive your criticism and your okay. honesty. Great. Uh, sometimes when uh, my wife and I are about to have a hard conversation, we'll say, do you have your receiving gloves on? Uh, because like we want to get in the right mindset. So I just want to make sure that you're ready. Are they like shark skin receiving gloves? <laughs> uh, no, they're not. They're not receivers gloves. Oh, okay. They're, they're receiving gloves. It's, it's easy right. to understand. I see the confusion. Um, but anyway, so uh, your driving has been inconsistent for a while. And when you hit it, you hit it gloriously. But I don't think that you always know what it's going to do when you get up there. And you hit a drive that I, I'm sorry, I'm bringing this up. I know it's mean, but you hit a flop drive. I did that. I have I not did. seen anyone do maybe ever. That wasn't a YouTube trick shot specialist. Yeah. You teed it up. You intended to bomb it. It slammed directly into the tee and went straight up into the air. You almost could have caught it in your pocket. Yeah. So all of that's true. There that, times, that actually happened. There are times where your, your driving is your strength. But the two times I've beat you in the majors last year, your driving was your Achilles heel. Yeah, so that's true. I hope that you don't figure it out from a competitive <laughs> But Oh, you rascal. <laughs> in, the, in the trust tree, here in the nest, uh, in the honesty hour with the receiving gloves on, I think that that's the thing you need to put your time into. Because yeah. as long as I've known you, you've been a great ball striker. You've always had a good short game. Your putting went weird at the end of last season. But overall, like that's not something that I feel like is a weakness of yours. You've got to figure out the long game and then you're going to be really hard to stop. Yep. I, I agree. I agree. I think I was thinking about this on the way home. Actually, I think I found myself standing too far away from the ball. And I think that is some of the inconsistency there. Cause that one shot that you were speaking of where I hit the flop, uh, super mega top. Um, I actually, I, I, I mean, I, I, I cold topped that guy and I think that was because I was too far away from the ball. So um, I think that's easily remedied, remedied. Um, I honestly thought that that was going to be the Buffalo uh, that you had for me mm -hmm. uh, because that was a, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> it was really, really, random. It was really weird. But I think like, just if, again, in the, in the honesty, trust tree situation here, like when you go up to the T box in my head, I say, this could be good or this could go anywhere. Right. And I think that probably somewhere in the crevices of your mind, you also have those thoughts. So yeah. I think that if you can iron out a shot shape that works for you, because like all the, as long as I've known you, you hit a little baby draw. And then a couple of years ago, you just started hitting this cut out of nowhere. And now I'm like, I have no clue what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that that's, that's just like where I would go next. If I were Hashtag real talk. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you can take off the gloves now we're done with that. Um, and then your Buffalo for me, um, is, is pretty, is pretty simple. Okay. I think that both of us 
need to stop rushing on the golf course. I think that we get into this mindset where we want to play fast. You know, we don't want to be the slow guys. We don't want to be the annoying guys that read all the putts and, you know, and have all these practice swings. And we kind of, sometimes I think we kind of make fun of that from like a social golf perspective, but I've come to the conclusion that a lot of the bad shots I hit are from just getting up there, taking very little thought into what I'm trying to accomplish and going, I'll whack this up near the green and then I'll deal with it when it gets there. And that's a lot of times when you end up shanking one into the river or, you know, topping one and it only going 40 feet or whatever. I'm not saying we need to have six practice swings and like a long, you know, prayer that, you know, acknowledges all of the fortitudes of golf. But like, I am saying that I couldn't get that thought out of my head post round. And some of it's like when you're cold, you just don't, you want to get over with it. But yeah, we're trying to improve on this golf journey as is probably every listener of our, of our show. Like everybody's trying to get better. Everyone's trying to figure out, you know, how to, you know, catch that one hit tip or, or one thought that might help improve their game whenever they go play. And to me, playing fast is super important, but don't play fast if it's to the detriment of your game. Yeah, I agree. I'm a little self-conscious about that because I think I am a somewhat slow player. Maybe not slow. I'm deliberate. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Because a lot of times I'm the last person on the green. Um, Saturday, I could not lag putt to save my life. And honestly, if you were to ask me, that was the weak part of my game on Saturday. I had six three putts. Um, I, I putt really well from 20 feet in. But if you get me at 40 feet, who knows? I might blow it eight feet by. I might leave it 10 feet short. And that's really frustrating. But I'm generally the last person putting, it seems like. And I get a little self-conscious about that. Like, you know, I've got a five-footer. You know, and I'm grinding over this. I'm trying to make this putt. And it's not, I'm not the guy who looks at it from four sides three times, you know, like that. But I do take my time on that. And I get a little, I don't want to be the guy that everybody's waiting on. Right. But I, I do I try to do as much of that stuff as I can while other people are going, like, yeah. you know, studying the putt and, and whatever, you know, while you're putting, I'm, you know, taking a read or whatever. But, um, I, I do think I get a little rushy sometime in the fairway or on the tee box. Yeah. And the, I just, it's something I, I replay the tape in my mind, you know, of, of some of my worst shots and it, it's like, okay, I hop out of the cart. I grab my nine iron. I get over the ball. I rarely take a practice swing. Yeah. I've uh, noticed that. And I've, I've decided that from now on, I'm going to mandatorily take two practice swings for every shot I take. And okay, it's not going, I'm, I'm going to be working towards a pre-shot routine. Um, but it's going to include two practice swings, like a half practice swing, a full practice swing, and then an address of the ball. And yep. then I heard a tip this week on uh, Instagram reels of all things. And it said where I go for all my golf tips. I know. Right. But this one was interesting. It was, it was a, from a P from a PGA coach psychology guy. And he said that your brain processes information better whenever you count down instead of counting up. So if you add a reverse countdown to your swing uh, trigger, so like if you get over the ball and you go five, four, three, two, one, and then you swing, you're, it creates a gap in your like consciousness that will allow you to be clear headed in that moment. Hmm. And I kind of thought that was interesting. That's so I may try that. Bringing science into this. I like it. Oh, yeah. I like it. Cool. Um, okay. 
high low buffalo for you here we go i've been thinking about this while you were talking um hi um you had one hole i don't remember which one it was where you made a really nice birdie uh i don't remember the exact circumstances of it but i remember thinking like that was that came together really nicely and i'm sure that probably was the uh um probably the the gold star in your mind i mean you're welcome to re replay it for us if if you want um well basically i i drove the ball pretty consistently um and i i had so i won't i'm not going to spoil whatever you may come up with next but on that particular hole i hit a good drive and then i hit one of my better iron shots and you the, drained a mega putt and then i had about 30 i think i had about 30 feet and that thing was just absolutely perfect well the thing about it is i mean on that hole like you hit a good drive you hit a good iron and you gave yourself a chance it wasn't it's not like you made some well it's not like the you know you chipped in this miraculous chip that's going to be like i did <laughs> you know that's going to be the best chip you're going to hit all year it was just a really methodical i gave myself a chance and i made a putt you know so um I think in, in an honest moment, that would be the way that I would prefer to play golf. You know, sure. you know, yeah. you know hit, a, hit a good drive, hit a good iron, every now and then make a putt. You know, if I could if I could do that for 18 holes, I would be really, really pleased with my game. So uh, I thought that was uh, really, really well done. Um, low for you. Um, do I need you, my gloves on? What's that? Do I need my gloves on? No, I think I'm going to be fairly gentle. I'm not going to tell you anything that you didn't already know. Okay. Um, I think your irons have been uh, really in inconsistent for a while and you had a couple of holes. I can remember the second hole specifically where it was just, you just couldn't seem to like find the club face and maybe that was just, you know, first time to play in a little, in, in a little while, maybe, but uh, you hit several, like, you're like, I'm just going to hit another one. I'm going to hit another one. I'm going to hit another one. And all of them were awful. And you kind of got in your own head. So um, that tends to happen for you. You tend to go through this kind of this snowball cycle where one bad shot leads to another bad shot leads to another bad shot. And I've seen you do that many, many times. And your idea of being more deliberate, practice swings, you know, kind of resetting, I think would go a long way to help you. So next time you and I play together, which hopefully soon, I will do my best to be your mental caddy to, to help you do things right. I've also got something else I'm going to try. Let's hear it. I've been saying this for a while and I haven't put in the practice to make it a thing, but I'm going to try to change my swing from a slice cut swing to a draw swing. And I personally believe that every bad iron shot I've ever hit has been this block slice that causes me to kind of get into the shanks. And while it works with my long clubs, just fine. My driver three wood hybrids, I can hit a cut with all three of them super comfortably. And I've got it more or less dialed in, but when it gets to the irons, it doesn't work very well for me. And right. so I think that I can, start rehabbing my swing a bit to become more draw focused. And I honestly think it'll help quite a bit with the iron play. Well, for me, I felt like my game improved once I started hitting draws. 
Um, I mean, it's like that, like a switch flipped. I'm like, okay, now I'm a decent golfer. So good luck with that. Uh, that can be, that can be a difficult transition. You know, swing changes are always tough, yep. but uh, I mean, it can be done. It can be done. Um, I need to kind of get back in that same groove, you know, with my long, uh, with my driver, for example. Um, I'm tired of hitting fades and not being sure where the ball goes, but got a new driver last year. Still haven't quite mastered it, I guess. So that's where I'm at. Hopefully this is the year where I figure that thing out. But anyway, Buffalo for you. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, (laughs) We were on the 17th hole and uh, we've got a a water hazard to navigate and uh, trying to hit the ball onto the green across the water hazard. And you hit uh, like, you didn't really. How dare you bring this up? You didn't hit a ball. You didn't hit the ball very well at all. And the ball just kind of heads towards the water hazard. And there happened to be two ducks there at the edge of the water hazard. And literally your ball rolled between these two ducks. And we all kind of gave you grief. We're like, ha, 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 Logan, what are you trying to do? You're trying to hit these ducks. Um, And I walked down there to the edge of the water and fish your ball from off the, I mean, it's not actually sitting in water. It's just sitting in mud. So I can like rake it off and get it back up onto the bank. And I pitch your ball back up to you. And going down there, I basically shoo the ducks off and they go to the other side of the pond and they go and they basically go back into the same little one-legged flamingo kind of stance. And they're like half asleep doing whatever it is that ducks do. I don't know. I'm not a duck expert. This isn't a duck podcast. So anyway, uh, the ducks go over to the other side. You proceed to hit now your shot after taking a penalty for hitting the ball into the hazard. (laughs) You cold topped it right at those ducks. And for for a moment, I thought you'd hit one of them square in the head. I mean, the ball heads directly for it and you hear a thud. And the thud was the ball hitting the the bank of the water hazard but we gave you a lot of grief about hitting <laughs> hitting and, and killing a duck the duck is fine i'm i'm glad to say the duck is fine we, but, did, uh, we did a visual it was wild his name is gerald uh and he's doing great and, he is uh, he's doing fine not i walked down there to the uh to the other side of the the water hazard uh he moved on he's fine if if he'd actually hit the duck it would have made some tremendous Wang, 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 wang noise and would have you know collapsed right there so it, it was one of the healthier ducks i've ever seen so. <laughs> as ducks go it was the arnold schwarzenegger of ducks it was in peak physical condition that, but, that duck is is doing he's he's recently booked a vacation with his family he's doing fine he's doing fine well it's just funny that you nearly hit it once and then you nearly hit it a second time uh I'm going to laugh about that one for a while. Yeah. Okay. All right. I probably should have had my receiving gloves on for that, but whatever. <laughs> well, I figured you knew where that was going. Uh, I but... didn't think that you were going to bring that up. So, <laughs> all right. Never again. I won't bring, I won't speak of it again, but Gerald uh, is a friend of mine now. And um, I will only think of him in positive lights. So, <laughs> all right. So here's, here's kind of how I want to close the episode. Um, What's well, we kind of alluded to it a little bit, but what do you think your game needs to work on to help you get you know to the next tier of success? Uh, for me, I mean, based on the way I played Saturday, 
Uh, I shot 84. Um, I, I played okay. Um, more consistent driving. I, and I think just standing a little closer to the ball is going to help there, but I really need to spend a lot of time lag putting. Uh, my lag putting was terrible on Saturday. Like I said, I sick, I three putted six times, right? Maybe even seven, uh, far too many of those just, you know, just don't have, as Tiger would say, my feels yet. So a little time on the practice range or the practice screen. Uh, I think I putted six balls before our round on Saturday. So that might've had something to do with it. But before I play again, I'm going to spend a little time warming up and kind of dialing in my, my distance there. What about you? Um, Well, two weeks in a row, my putter has been on fire. So I'm going to continue to leave that alone. Um, If you don't know, my putter, his name is King Midas because every ball he touches turns to gold. Uh, And, you know, he's a two-time major champion, that putter, and uh, he's, he's been pretty clutch. So, uh, you know, Norman, on the other hand, he switches putters every couple months. Um, and uh, he's got a stable of Scotty Cameron's in the closet, and he just picks willy-nilly which one he's going to play that day, uh, which might be part of the lag putting problem. I'm not it saying, could be. I'm not it could I'm be. Saying. I just uh, recently got a high MOI putter, and I'm trying to dial that guy in. I'm trying to see if that – Trying to see if I like that better. Based on the way I put it on Saturday, I don't like it at all. It may be time to switch again, but I'm going to give it a fair shake. So I'm going to play at least two more rounds with it before I decide. It's funny because you've, you've now got, you've had blades, you've had mallets, you've had the big square mallets, and you know, you've got to kind of figure out what kind of putter person you are. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I know. I know. I, I want something with minimal toe flow is where I want to be. So um, I've got kind of three different three different options there. Having played with a mid mallet for a good long while, when I pick up a blade, it it's weird. I don't like it at all. Um, so, well, that's the blades, not a choice. It's either mid mallet or full mallet. Well, I, uh, I'm going to keep King Midas right where he is because he's doing excellent. I've made more putts in the last two weeks than I've made in many, many rounds prior. He's to doing him. the Lord's work. He is. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's salt of the earth, that putter. Um, and then uh, I think that, like, like we talked about, my iron play, it's been the Achilles heel of my game for a long, 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 long time. And I've always been pretty good with the long clubs, but really bad with the mid irons and you know, sometimes my chipping's good. Sometimes it's truly unpredictable. There was one instance on Saturday where I almost drove the green in two on a par five. I was like pin high, but on the right, kind of in the woods. And uh, I had a, it was a very hard shot between some trees over a bunker, downhill, whatever, but I shank it and it goes about a hundred yards over the green. And then I, over hit that one and it goes into the bunker that i just hit over and then i chipped on and two putted and got a seven so yeah yeah it was it was an embarrassment um of of a hole but it could have been an easy birdie like if my second shot is 40 feet to the left it's on the front edge of the green or better and i'm two putting for birdie and instead i'm you know having to do these punch out you know difficult blind shots and they don't go very well. And then I just, I compound the errors. 
when you had that shot where you had to get over the bunker, I told myself like, you know, this is a really tough shot because you had to clear the bunker. You had to kind of navigate some trees to get onto the green and you just, I mean, you just rip it past that bunker. And I, and I kind of chuckled to myself like, well, at least he got it over the bunker. You know, he didn't have to worry about the bunker. And then you proceed to put it right back into the bunker with your next yeah. shot. So, well, uh, and, you know, you get out of your own way. For those of you that don't know, like right now, the Oklahoma weather has not turned good yet. And our ground is still hard as a rock. And so I got this lie after my second shot and it was a, a very, very hard shot. And I don't know exactly what I could have done to make it much smarter than what I tried. But once I, I didn't do any practice swings. And if I did, I might've rethought my strategy, but I basically just like bladed this shot because the ground was so hard. I just like skipped into the ball instead of really making a divot. So like, some of it's on me. And that's when I say, like, when I replay the round, I'm like, man, you're a dummy um, because you, 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 you rush these hard shots and then you don't, you don't set yourself up for the success that really changes your scorecard. Like going from a birdie to a double bogey on a par five is what makes your scorecard look way different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I didn't play that hole well. And I was kind of kicking myself after that hole was over with too, because it took me two to get out of the bunker. I was in the bunker that you were trying to avoid uh, in two. And then after getting up on the green, I three putted and I wind up with this, with a double bogey on a par five. And that's just not acceptable. So. Especially when you drive plenty long enough. Yeah. Like our second shots on the par five were whole high, both of them. Yep. We were just in trouble and we didn't do well outside of that trouble. So yeah, agreed. You know, that's what, you know, casual golf really is though. You're inches away from being good and you're, you know, then you make a bunch of compounded errors. Like the difference between a really good golfer and a mediocre Sunday warrior is like practice and repetition and comfortability and knowing the course and plotting the course. Right. Like I didn't know that whole very well when I hit my second shot. And if I did, I would have aimed way more left than I did. Right. You know, right was jail and left was open and I chose right like a dummy. Yeah, I did the same thing. I did the same thing. I just trickled into that bunker. But, you know, it's uh, I chalk that hole up to first round, first real round of the year. Yeah, my sand game is really uh, rusty. That's not something I do practice very much. So, um you know, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it differently. But uh, all in all, it was good getting out Saturday. May not have played my best. Identified a few things I need to work on, and I'm excited to do it again. Uh, may get out and play this coming Saturday, too. Uh, kind of depends on what uh, what the family schedule looks like. It's prom day for my son. So uh, may have to, if I go, it's going to have to be in the morning. And I uh, kind of figured that out. But um, I've got a list of things that I want to work on, things I want to get better at, and I'm excited to do that. Heck yeah, buddy. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We enjoyed doing the show for you. We hope that you enjoy it as well. Hopefully you either, you know, resonate with what we're talking about or you appreciate the insights and have a good time making fun of our stupidity on the course. And I'm sure you've got some of your own stories to tell. So uh, thanks for being here and we'll check in on you next week. Shout out to Gerald. Hope you're doing well, bud. See you, buddy. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a-